Hello and welcome to Confessions. I'm your host, David Allen, and this evening we're joined by Rebecca Kling. She's a transgendered artist and educator who explores gender and identity through solo performance pieces and educational workshops. Her performance incorporates conversational storytelling, personal narrative, humor, and more. Welcome to this, the show, Rebecca. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to talk to you. So tell my listeners a little bit about you. I want you to walk me through your journey, Rebecca. Sure thing. So I grew up in Evanston, just north of Chicago. And um, what most people mean when they say walk me through your journey is walk me through your experience with gender and identity. Yes. Because uh, I've been on many journeys. You know, yeah. we each go on many journeys in our lifetime. So the way that I talk about it is that I always, so I was assigned male at birth, meaning that when the doctor picked me up after my mom gave birth. He said, it's a boy. And I had a penis. And I always knew that boy didn't fit. And the way that I've talked about it is that we've all had that experience of tossing and turning at night. And we know we're uncomfortable and we know we want to get to sleep, but we're not sure how to get comfortable and find that spot to be asleep. And that's sort of what boy was for me. I knew it was uncomfortable. I knew it didn't fit right but I wasn't sure how to be comfortable or what that would look like. And so as I got a little older, as I started to get online, as I started to um, read and see movies and TV shows with trans characters, I started to wonder if that was maybe an accurate description of where I was, of if this idea of transgender, of trans would fit me. But I'm in my early 30s, and so a lot of the media that's out now about positive trans narratives of things ranging from Transparent and Orange is the New Black to uh, a number of young adult novels that have come out in the last couple of years to conferences and summer camps. Those didn't exist, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I was first starting to get online. And so the way people were talking about trans identity was very black and white. Either you know who you are and know what you want and know you want surgery and know what you want your body to be, or you don't. And as a, as a young adult and as a teenager who's trying to figure some of that stuff out, I didn't know the answers to all of those questions of whether or not I would want surgery or whether or not I would want hormones or what I would want to be when I grew up. I just knew that what I was didn't fit right. And so it wasn't and, – and so I explored some of those things. I talked to a therapist about it. I went to LGBT groups in uh, the Chicago area. But again, at the time, there weren't resources for trans youth in the way that there are now. And so – all of the adults that I talked to who I wanted to be authority figures, who I wanted to say, here's how this can work. Not, here's how it has to work, but here are some options for you. All of the adults that I looked to for that instead said, that's okay, there's nothing wrong with you, but we don't really know what to do about it. And I will say that that is better than a lot of trans youth get. A lot of trans youth who come out to adults in their lives get told that they're wrong, told that something is wrong with them, get told that they um, need to change, get sent to reparative therapy. Many get kicked out of family or, or friend circles. And I am lucky in that I never had that, but I still didn't have that thing we look for when we're, we're young and looking to adults of, okay, but what do I do about this? And it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I was able to be more of an advocate for myself of being able to say, okay, I need to figure this out and I'm going to go until I find a therapist who can help me with it. 
and I will say not all trans, there is no one way to be trans. And so not all trans people feel the need for that therapist support or that mental health support. But that was something I was looking for. I actually had a very good friend um, who went through the same process you did. And I watched it from start to finish. And, and it, like you said, back in the day, there wasn't as much resources as there is now. So it was very difficult from, you know, Mark to go to Marsha. And I, I, I watched the whole thing. And I was so fascinated by it because, again, there wasn't that support. There wasn't that you know, that, that support group that we have now and all the resources we have now. So what is the, even in today's age, what's the most misconceived thing about transgendered people? I think there are actually a couple of very common misconceptions. The first one is that there is one way to be trans. That something I ran into first in looking at online resources and books, and then actually from mental health providers was, you don't fit my understanding of this and so you must not be trans. Interesting. Interesting. And that's something that many of us have felt frustrations with. Many of us, not just trans people, but humans. And an analogy that I use is I'm also culturally Jewish. I don't identify as religiously Jewish, but I was raised in sort of a I was raised in sort of a lazily liberal Jewish household. And one of the things I like about Judaism is there are lots of ways to be Jewish. There are Jews who keep kosher and Jews who don't. There are Jews who observe the Sabbath and those who don't. There are Jews who go to synagogue once or twice or multiple times a week and those who don't. There are Jews who believe in a higher power and those who don't. And I like that feeling of we can all feel a commonality without having to say there's one way to do it. And for trans people, one of the most common misconceptions is that there is one way to do it. And there isn't. There's just as many ways to be trans as there are trans people. In the same way that there's no one way to be a man or a woman or speaking from where I live, there's no one way to be a Chicagoan. There are lots of different ways. And I think that ties into another big misconception, which is that transitioning is about sex and is about sexuality. So over the last couple of decades, as a culture, as a society, we've done a pretty good job of separating the idea of sex and gender. And what I mean by that is the gay and lesbian communities have demanded recognition, I think appropriately so, that not all men are attracted to women and not all women are attracted to men. And so it is possible for someone to say, I am a man and I'm also attracted to other men and that doesn't make me less of a man. It may make me a different kind of man than a man who's attracted to women, but I'm still a man. But when we throw trans identity into the mix, people sometimes forget those lessons. So as a trans woman, as someone who is assigned male at birth, identifies as female, presents to the world as female, a question I'll get was, okay, so you're attracted to men, right? Because for many people, the idea of transitioning must be about sex. Interesting. Interesting. And there are trans people out there who identify as straight. So for me, that would mean as someone, as a woman who is attracted to men, and there are trans people out there who identify as gay or lesbian or bi or pansexual or asexual or all of the beautiful rainbow we have. And so I think tied to that common misconception that there's one way to be trans is the misconception that it's about other people, it's about sexuality, it's about sexual desire, when for all of the trans people I've talked to, myself included, it's about a sense of self. And that's certainly tied into sex and sexuality. That's part of who we are as people, again, trans people and everyone else. 
but that's not the driving force. That's so great that you said that. I'm glad you brought that up because that was a lot of the question I get uh, is that because, again, my friend uh, Mark, who is now Marsha, was the same way. She was very much attracted to females after the full transformation. And um, so that it, it always brought up questions, just like you said. It's just like, so if you're a female now, so you should be attracted to men. So I, I'm really glad that you brought that up and, and actually clarified that, too, because that that's the question. And I'm not trans, but I, I've been through, I, I've seen a lot, and I had a lot of friends who were who are trans. And I it, it's same thing with me. I guess I'm ignorant when it comes to stuff like that because I'm not sure. And that's why I was so excited to talk with you because Absolutely. it's like, it's great to get the education out there. And, and I'm not afraid to ask those questions because I want to know. I'm just curious and I'm sure everybody else is. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Well, and one of the things that's tricky is transitioning is often public in a way that many coming out stories aren't. If someone is coming out or gay or lesbian, that doesn't necessarily mean they're changing their presentation or changing how they interact with people or changing what bathroom they go into or changing their legal documents. And so I know I experienced, and this is something a lot of trans folks I've talked to felt something similar, that transitioning feels like this very private thing, that it's about me, it's a lot of internal work, but at the same time, I'm changing some very public things about myself. I'm changing how I present myself, I'm changing what pronouns and names I'm asking people to call me, I'm eventually changing legally my name, I'm ha I may or may not be having surgery depending on an individual's journey. And so as much as it's not about any of the people in my life, it's about me, they see it and they're impacted by it. And so I think there's a comfort or desire to ask questions that might not otherwise be appropriate. And so I, I sort of joke, I put my educator hat on. I have chosen to be an educator around trans identity, and I'm happy ask, answering any question asked with the intent to learn. And I talk about this particularly when I'm talking with um, younger audiences, that we all know the difference between, oh, my God, where did you get that haircut? And, oh, my God, where did you get that haircut? <laughs> and that's the same question asked very differently. And so if a question is asked with an intent to learn and understand, I'm, I put my educator hat on and I'm happy to have that conversation. If a question is asked with an intent to be a jerk, then I may be less interested in answering it. And that makes sense. And and I think nowadays, though, it's just like when RuPaul's Drag Race came out, drag just kind of exploded on the scene. Now, transgendered is is a big topic. And it's like, I think people are short circuiting because it's just so much information all at once. And they're just not used to it. You know, this has been around for many, many, many years, probably as long as we've been around. And now it's just being brought into light, into public. And everyone's like, oh, my God. And, and we're so afraid of the unknown. And we're so afraid of what we don't understand. And that is where I I think we fall short as a community. Absolutely. Well, and and a couple of things that that makes me think of. The first one is there is a, there is very much evidence that in every culture, for as long as we have had culture, there are people who fall outside of our idea of the gender binary. So in Native American cultures, in the subcontinent of India cultures, in um, African cultures and European cultures and Asian cultures and Pacific Island cultures, there's evidence of people who aren't just, big air quotes around that word, men or women. But the language we use has shifted drastically. So the, the word transsexual wasn't created until I, I believe the either late 20s or early 30s of the 20th century. So under 100 years ago. 
And so as much as this experience, and let alone the idea of hormones being used to change our bodies, is certainly a, a new invention as well. Mm-hmm. So the experience of feeling like that gender binary doesn't work for me is fundamentally human as much as being gay or lesbian is fundamentally human and that there's evidence of that going back in every culture. But the way we talk about it is totally changing. And one of the things that I think can be frustrating for people who want to be allies, who are trying to be allies, is that that language does shift so fast. And can be there can be very subtle differences that can make people feel really good or really bad. So I'll give you one example is I think I heard you use the word transgendered with an ED at the end. Yes. Yes. Most people these days use transgender without that ED. That's one of those weird quirks of language that I don't have a great answer for it. I've heard really good etymology reasons. Like I've heard really good reasons of why transgendered is right grammatically or why transgender is right grammatically. But just giving you that that feedback and that knowledge, most trans people I know, myself included, prefer it without the ED. And there isn't, I can't say why. It's not like there's a, a oh, well, in 1973, <laughs> Bob transgendered, had the ED removed surgically, and that's why we all use transgender. Um, and I can understand from people who do want to be allies who might use language differently than the community uses it, who says, I'm trying to do my best, and I get jumped on, I get attacked. And I can also understand there are lots of of very real attacks being aimed at the trans community, and so sometimes we are defensive because we need to be. Of course. And so finding that balance of, well, I want to assume good intent. I know you're not doing this intentionally. I know we can find middle ground, but also not wanting to um, allow things to go unsaid that might be hurtful. Right, and I just use it in the past tense because unfortunately life has happened and I have lost touch with a lot of my transgender friends. And uh, so that's why I used it in kind of in a past tense just to say, you know, I knew Marsha and I knew a couple other, the, the transgenders who, you know, were going through the process as well. Language sometimes sucks and yeah. is very tricky. It is. Now let's talk about, by putting yourself out there, Rebecca, do you ever worry about put, making yourself a target for like harassment? I do. Um, That's a concern I have, and that's a concern some of my family members had, particularly my dad when I was starting to do this work. He was very worried about what this would mean for employability, the the type of work and the type of visibility I do, what this would mean for employability, what this would mean for dating, and quite frankly, what this would mean for my physical and emotional safety. I have been very lucky in my life in that I've had familial support, I've had friend support, I've always been stably housed and had financial stability, and I like to try and use those as foundations to do work that might make me uncomfortable in other ways. So I know I'm going to go home at night and have a safe place to sleep, and not everyone in my community has that. I know that I can go home on the holidays and be excited to see my family. And not everyone in my community has that. And so in my mind, the real risk of discomfort or harassment feels worth it to use the privilege that I have in a way that feels like I'm making changes in the world. Now, fortunately, the type of work I've done at theater festivals, at colleges and universities, is in communities that are generally younger, 
and generally more liberal. And so I've had rude questions, certainly. I've had people say, well, if you can't erase a Y chromosome, why even bother? Or I've had people say, well, you're going against God's will, so what do you think you're doing? And I've certainly had... I've had posters of mine taken down when the posters right next to them for other shows and festivals were left up. So I've certainly had that kind of targeting. I have, you know, knock on wood, never been um, the target of more direct violence or harassment. Interesting. That is so interesting because, yeah, and I, I, I assume that the way you talk about your family, they were very supportive in your in your journey as well. Yes, and I would say... Um, one of the things that there's some conversation going around in activist circles about support versus acceptance. And this might feel like a little nitpicky and to some extent it is, but acceptance at some level is passive. I accept this thing about you. Support is active. I'm actively going to do things to help you. My family was always accepting. As I said, they never threatened to kick me out. They never threatened to cut me off financially. It took them a while to figure out how to be supportive, how to actively have my back. And I think that's something a lot of trans people experience of sometimes coming out to someone and they may be actively hostile. Hopefully that's not the case. But at the very least, particularly if you're the first trans person who's come out to someone, they may say, I don't know what to do about this. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you as a friend or a coworker or a family member, but I'm going to need some help figuring out how to deal with this. And for many people trying to be allies, it takes some time to get to that support. Fortunately, these days, all of my family members are really, I would say, badass supporters and would and come to shows of mine and send emails to their friends about the work that I'm doing. And I, I feel very lucky for that, but it took them some time to get there. That is great. Now, I know you have a book called No Gender Left Behind. What is your favorite part of that book? Ooh, that's a tricky question. <laughs> I would say I enjoyed um, some of the more poetry-based or, or um, not literal writing in that. One of the, As a storyteller, it's I'm most comfortable. I have, feel most at ease sort of telling narrative stories, telling linear stories. This is what happened. I was here, A, B, C, D, E. And I had a lot of fun challenging myself for some of the pieces in No Gender Left Behind to be less literal and play a little more in metaphor. The other thing that is one of my favorite pieces in No Gender Left Behind is what I call the sex graph. And so that is a graph with an x-axis and a y-axis that talks about how I've experienced being sexual. And I don't mean sexuality. Sexuality is sort of attraction, Mm -hmm. whereas we experience our bodies and sex when we're alone or when we're with partners. And so I have noticed changes in how I experienced my my physical pleasure when I was naturally producing testosterone and now that I've been on estrogen and then having gender reassignment surgery. And so I graphed it. And I graphed it with Time on the um, x-axis, so that's the horizontal one, and with fun on the y-axis, on the up and down one. And sort of comparing what my experience was of, to be blunt, of what my experience was of having pleasure and, and orgasming while being full of testosterone and while being full of estrogen and while having different genitalia. Because it's not something I'd heard anyone else talk about. There's certainly stuff you can read online of 
Will I be able to orgasm after gender reassignment surgery? What nerve work is done during gender reassignment surgery? But I hadn't seen anyone with that sort of specificity of the before, during, and after. And so it's been fun to talk about that and share that piece in front of audience and to say, all right, now, what do we feel like? How, how do we talk about these things? That is awesome because it's like a tell-all book, and you know I love the fact that you put that out there because that honestly is a question in, in private discussion with you know even my my brothers discussing this um, when I when I had told him you were going to be on the show and he had so many questions like my brother's such a deep thinker and he's just like first thing he said was like just as you said can they orgasm after the reassignment surgery so do you mind answering that. Uh, uh... I'm happy to answer that. So first I want to, I'm, I'm going to be difficult and put my educator hat on or a bigger educator. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of the things that, again, some misconceptions is when people say gender reassignment surgery, which is what used to be called a sex change operation. Mm -hmm. um, and there's another thing of language moves and, and we don't always understand why. For a person like me, someone who is assigned male at birth and identifies as female they used surgery to turn my penis into a vagina. And the basic way they do that is they cut it open and put it up inside out in my pelvic cavity. Hmm. For trans men, that is people who are assigned female at birth, identify as male and might want to turn their vagina into a penis, the surgery is much more difficult. And the joke I have heard surgeons make is it is easier to dig a hole than make a pole. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and so for the surgery I had a vaginoplasty yes I am I am orgasmic and the way that they achieve that is they save all the nerve endings from the penis and relocate them and so if anyone wants to do some Google image searching if you Google transgender vagina or if you Google vaginoplasty before and after you can see diagrams and some gross pictures of how that surgery works. For trans men, building a penis is a lot harder and building that nerve tissue is a lot harder. And so I obviously can't experience this firsthand, but what I have heard from trans men who've had that surgery, who've had a phalloplasty, that the nerve sensation and the ability to orgasm isn't quite as good because the surgery isn't quite as sophisticated. That is so interesting, and thank you so much for answering that. Um, I'm going to get to a couple of questions that were sent in to me, too, by listeners um, as, as I announced your uh, presence on the show tonight. And one of them I found very interesting was from a listener, and she said, Why would you choose to be a woman in a society where men are still viewed as more privileged and oftentimes superior? Absolutely. I think the 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 place I would push back in that question is choose. So I made choices about medically transitioning. I chose to go take hormones. I chose to legally change my name. I chose to have gender reassignment surgery. And I choose every day how to present myself, how to wear my hair, how to wear makeup or not, how to wear jewelry or not, whether to wear pants today or a dress today or heels today, whatever. Mm -hmm. I would argue that I didn't choose to be a woman any more than any other woman did. As I said earlier, I knew from a very young age that boy was not right for me. Boy didn't fit for me. And so for me to try and move through the world as male, as I did before I transitioned, felt false every day and felt like I wasn't being authentic every day. 
So I can understand for someone who is not trans having that intellectual difficulty of why would someone choose this? But I would argue that it is no more a choice than any other medical or mental health issue. And the way we can treat that is different from person to person. Some people, going back to there's no one way to be trans. Some people transition, some people don't. For some, that includes medical transition. For some people, it doesn't. Some people legally change their name, some people don't. But at the core, the question of who are you, I would argue when you close your eyes and think about yourself, the language we use is gender identity. When we close your eyes and think about your gender identity, that is, who are you as a gendered being? I don't think that's a choice. The way it manifests itself and the way we choose to live with it can be somewhat of a choice, but I don't think I could have been a real quote-unquote man any more than any of the women in my life could be. And so while I understand that sort of um, shock or questioning or, or lack of understanding of why would you choose to be part of this group that has fewer uh, privileges and gets paid less and experiences harassment and sexual violence at much higher rates and all of these other things. At the end of the day, I would say I didn't choose it. That's a very great answer. I, you know, when I read the question, I didn't even think about that because it's the same way. Like I'm, I'm a gay male and I get the same. It's not the same as your story, of course, but it's, you know, the same in terms of why would you choose to be that way? And I absolutely agree. I fight that point every single day. I didn't choose to be this way. It's just who I am. And so, yeah, great answer. Thank you for that. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I think turning those questions around can sometimes be helpful. And I don't mean this sarcastically or nastily, sure. but I think turning that question around of, if it's a choice, why wouldn't you, listener, choose to be a man? There you go. If yeah. it's so much easier and better to be a man, why don't women choose to be men? And I would say it's because there's a part of most of us, maybe not all of us, maybe there are some people who there is less of a... a concrete feeling of their gender who have a little more fluidity but i would say for most of us that isn't a choice we make i have one more thing for you this is a confession i just received uh, actually today and i was very excited to get it and i what better person to answer it than you it is actually about a transgender and uh this comes from vegas girl and it reads uh, dear david allen i just had a big fight with my best friend her name is alex there was a lot of cursing the argument was about her wanting to be transgender. I didn't agree with it, and she got mad at me. Alex is a tomboy. Today she cut her hair short, too short for my taste, and she keeps complaining about how she hates being a girl. She hates her period and is afraid of having breasts. It, it has started to annoy me a lot. Alex and I have been friends since kindergarten, and I'm scared our friendship may end. I don't know if this all sounds childish, but please help. I don't want to lose my best friend. So what is your advice for Vegas Girl? Wow. The, I have a lot of compassion for both of them. Because as I, I, transitioning or being trans, whether or not someone transitions, isn't about anyone else. You know, I didn't transition at my parents. But I impacted them with my transition. And it required them to rethink themselves and their relationship to me. And I have sympathy for that. And I have empathy for that. At the same time... I would say that Vegas Girl doesn't get to make that call any more than any of your friends, David, got to decide if you were gay or straight. 
or any of my friends got to decide if I was trans. And so I think there is absolutely value in encouraging the person who, encouraging Alex to take a deep breath, to know that any decision made today can also be made tomorrow, to not rush into things, to, to be methodical about any changes to one's body. Um, but at the end of the day, Vegas Girl doesn't get to make that decision for Alex. And hopefully that, that she can be a supportive friend to Alex, whatever Alex ultimately realizes. Because I think something that can feel scary sometimes for the people in our lives is when we say on day one, this is how I identify, it feels like tomorrow everything is going to be different. And ultimately, transitioning takes time and takes place over time. And so rather than worrying about what is it going to look like down the road, trying to focus on how do I support you today and what do you need today? I thought the same thing when I read this, too, because the first thing I thought of, honestly, was Vegas Girl is just afraid of change. And I think what she's afraid of is that when Alex, if Alex decides to make this decision, um, is that she's going to lose her friend as she knows her friend as Alex, if that makes sense. And I think heartbreakingly, there is some truth to that. You know, I, I, it makes me think of when I was first talking about transitioning, my dad said he felt like he was losing his son. Right. And exactly. I'm still here. We still go see movies together and talk about uh, TV shows we're watching and occasionally go biking together. At the same time, our relationship is definitely different. And, and, who I am as his daughter is different than who I was as his son. And so there's, there's, it sort of feels like a paradox or a contradiction that at the, on the one hand, I am still who I was. On the other hand, I'm not still who I was. And, and there was a great line in um, Jennifer Finn Boylan is a, a trans author. And she wrote a number of autobiographical stories. And she talks about one point having a conversation with her wife. And her wife was struggling with her transition. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jenny said, well, nothing's changed. I'm still who I was. And her wife said, well, I would hope something has changed or else why the fuck are you doing this? Right. And I think there is that sort of contradiction of I still feel a connection to who I was 10 years ago before I started transitioning. And there's continuity there. And I still have a lot of the same friends and certainly the same family. At the same time, who I am is not the same person. And um, I remember just as I was starting to transition, going to the gym with some male friends of mine. And so the three of us were sitting in our bathing suits in the men's uh, sauna. And I remember thinking, like, this is going to change. I'm not going to be sitting topless, hairy-chested in the male sauna much longer. And fortunately, I kept those friends, and sitting in the male sauna was not the most important part of our friendship. But it does change how things work. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Rebecca. Tell my listeners where they can find you. And I know your book's on Amazon, which is a great book, by the way. So go ahead and shamelessly promote. I appreciate that. So my website is Rebecca Kling, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-K-L-I-N-G dot com. And from there, you can connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I rarely actually post anything. And I'm on Rebecca Kling in all of those places. 
And then the book, No Gender Left Behind, is linked from my website. It's available on Amazon as a print book and as an ebook. And I also have it as a free download from my website that I remember being 15 or 16 and wanting to buy things about trans identity that I couldn't afford or didn't have a credit card. And so I want that resource to be accessible. Do you have any parting words for my listeners? I would say to, to view people who are different than you with compassion and to try and remember they're making it through the day the best they can too. 